I felt the Lord tell me to go through the book of Acts for our church, and the idea was to do a series called Realignment. Realignment. And so that's what we're going to kick off with today, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, kicking off Realignment, talking about the promise of power. Now, you may be in different backgrounds, and some of us at Sanctuary, because we're interdenominational, some of us come from Baptists and some Assemblies of God and some Methodists, some grew up Catholic, uh, some grew up Oneness Pentecostal, some of us grew up Charismatic, and so we have a diversity here. And I want us to take a look at this, not through a denominational lens per se, but just what does the Bible say as it is, and that you would just let the Lord speak to you as we go through this journey together. So, no expectations. Don't uh, kind of put everything to the side. I'm just going to ask you just to listen to Scripture, and let's just see what it looks like to be the New Testament church. Amen? Can we do that? So, for instance, uh, as we talk about realignment, it makes me think about a car. What do you do when your car or your vehicle, your truck, begins to drift as you're driving down the highway, right? You kind of know uh, if you need to get an alignment on your car because you're, you're driving, but it just keeps wanting to turn right. So you take it in, and then they balance it, and they check it out or whatever. Uh, you know, my car, we drove a lot of hours this week, and uh, my, uh, my wife's SUV has this little sensor. I don't know if you have it like that in your car, some of these newer cars. If you get close to that line, it goes beep, beep. You go in this way, beep, beep. Beep, beep. And some of you guys have the fancy cars that just drive straight for you because we just don't know how to do that anymore, I guess. Uh, and so, you know, it beeps. And Acts is kind of like that beep, beep for me. It's kind of like that warning sign like, hey, every time I read the book of Acts, it's like, oh, that's what church is supposed to look like. Because sometimes we tend to drift and we kind of find ourselves over here. And as you read this, it's like, wow. That's what it was like in the first hundred years of being a Christ follower. And what does it mean to be a New Testament Christian church today? This book shows us the DNA of our fellowship. It shows us our history, our principles, and how we should stay straight. And realignment, I looked up in the dictionary, says it's the action or changing or restoring something to a different or former position or state. It means readjustment, or it means restructuring, or rearrangement, or I like this, it means shaking it up. How many people, uh, you don't show your hands, got a realignment in the grocery store by your parents sometimes, you know, that right? Sometimes you have to realign that behavior, and so sometimes we had a little tune-up, you know, uh, in the store, maybe when you were a kid. I think that's kind of the American church today. I think we've drifted from center, and it's time to have a realignment, a shift, a change, a readjustment that sometimes I think Christianity in America has become that we think after salvation, Jesus exists to fulfill all my dreams and make them come true and make me happy and live a good and happy life. And that Jesus sacrificed everything for us, but we don't have to sacrifice everything for Jesus. Come on, somebody. That's kind of what you hear in mainstream Christianity today. And we want to follow our own purposes, our wants, our dreams, our ambitions, but not the purpose of the church. In a sense, it says, we want to be saved, but not sent. And that's what I want to talk to you this morning about. Are we saved? Because if we're saved, we are sent. Every person who is saved is sent. And that's thus realignment. I look at this church, and they are the most flawed, personable 
uh, individuals. You look at all the characters of this, Peter who denied Jesus, Paul who tried to kill all the, per, all the, all the first century church. And God in his supreme power and majesty takes some of the most flawed and messed up people, pagans, many of them, and just in uh, 30 years, just in 30 years or 60 years, Man, this small group of 120 people multiply across the known world and start shaking the Roman Empire. How? Because they had the spirit of the living God living in them. And what would it be like if we got realigned today, not to a Pentecostal doctor, not to a Baptist doctor, not to this theology or that theology, but simply to what the New Testament church had that made them a living, breathing powerhouse of that ancient world that man could transform whole cultures and society by the power of God. Wouldn't it be awesome to be a part of a great end time movement where we got realigned to what Christianity is really all about? All right, so let's look with us. Acts chapter 1. If you are saved, you are sent. They believed God's promise, they accepted His purpose, and they received His power. And that's what I'll talk to you this morning. Promise, purpose, and power. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Luke is writing here to a, a person, a patron named Theophilus. Luke is this Gentile doctor who is a companion of Paul. And sometimes in Acts you'll see it says we. Luke was with Paul many of the times, and if he wasn't with Paul, he got the account from somebody else. He's probably the most accurate historian of the New Testament. He's writing the Gospel of Luke and then the book of Acts. And in sense, in the ancient world, they are often one book. And then you really should read Luke and then just keep on reading into Acts because many times they kind of just flow into one another. Okay? So Luke and Acts... And he's writing to Theophilus to give this accurate account, but he's also writing to all these other churches to say, look, God supernaturally is willing to advance his gospel across the known world through people who are willing. And you and I need the supernatural power of God in us to be the church he's called to be. So Acts chapter 1, verse 1, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that when he was taken up to heaven. And after he had given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, to these things he predestined himself alive, presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, speaking of these things regarding the kingdom of God. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. Which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized or immersed with water, but you will be baptized or immersed, that's what that word means, immersed with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they come together, they begin asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And, they said, and he said to them, it's not for you to know the periods of time or the appointed times which the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea, which is the next parish over, okay, and then Samaria, the next parish over, and then to the remotest parts of the earth. It'll start here, and it begins to expand, okay? So, he says there's this promise, promise, purpose, and power. Three things you're going to get out of this, promise, purpose, and power. The first is the promise. So let me take you back in time. What in the world is he talking about in this promise? Let's go back into the Old Testament. 
God told Abraham, Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to make your, your name great. I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations. All the nations are going to be blessed through your children. are going to be as numerous as the stars. How? I'm going to create a new people, a people of faith, a spirit-filled, faith-filled people who are going to be adopted into this great, glorious plan. And how are they all going to be coming in? Because they're going to have the Spirit of God on them and in them. And this promise went from Abraham Isaac into Jacob and even into King David who he told David I'm going to put a descendant on the throne it's going to be your throne and his throne forever and there's going to be a great king who'll never die and he's going to reign forever and his kingdom's going to take over the world and peace is going to come and peace is going to come to the whole world how's it going to happen it's going to be the Messiah Isaiah and Ezekiel and all these prophets begin to prophesy of this great day Ezekiel said there's going to come a day where God's people aren't going to have a stony, stubborn heart, but God's Spirit's going to come inside God's people. In Ezekiel 36, in chapter 37, he said, they're going to put a new heart and a new spirit is going to come in them because God had always wanted his people to be a kingdom of ministers, a kingdom of priests, and Moses said even a kingdom of prophets, people who are influenced and empowered by the Spirit of God who could go out into all the world and be a light to the nations. That's what he wanted. Israel, I want you to be a light to the nations. Well, you know the story of the Old Testament. Israel failed to do this. And Joel came on the scene in Joel chapter 2, and he promised, and he said, hey, we didn't do it. We failed. But before the end of the world comes, there will be another outpouring, this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit's going to come. Before we see blood and smoke and fire and all this other stuff come, when the end comes, he said, there's going to be a great harvest where God's Spirit's going to come, not just on special people like Moses and all these other guys. It's going to come on men, on women, on slave, on free, on young, and on old. And they're going to be prophets Prophetic. They're going to speak the word of God. That's what prophet means, not weird end time stuff. They're going to speak the word of God for their generation. And that's going to happen. And then the end is going to come. Okay? So he sees this spirit-filled people. Now, John the Baptist is the last and final prophet of the Old Testament. And look what John the Baptist said. He's this great forerunner of Jesus. Mark 1, 7. He was preaching. He said, after one, after me, one is coming who is mightier than I. I'm not fit to even bend down and untie the straps of his sandals. He says, I'm baptizing you with water for repentance, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm immersing you in physical water for spiritual repentance, but he's going to baptize you in spiritual water for spiritual empowerment. We're doing something here, and there's a renewal happening in your heart now. But now there's going to be a spiritual immersion where everything we've been told, that we've been expecting, that we've been waiting for is coming with this next guy. The end-time people of God is about to step on the scene, and this is about to be the beginning of the end. Everything Moses looked for, everything Isaiah looked for, everything Ezekiel looked for, everything all that David prophesied and hoped to come to be is about to happen with this next guy. And then Jesus steps on the scene and he says, I'm the dude. Not, not really, that's not what he said, but he said something along those lines. And he said, so he just before he's about to die on the cross, he says in John 14, in John 14, 15 and 16, he says, guys, I'm going to send you that promise. I'm going to send you a promise. And it's actually a he. 
It's the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom my Father has always been promised. And He's going to teach you all things I've ever taught you and bring to remembrance all things you're going to need in the, in the future. And He says, in fact, it's for your benefit that I go away, that the helper, the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father that we've been talking about for generations here is about to come on the scene. So I'm going to go away and I'm going to send you the promise, but wait until you receive Him, okay? Jesus dies on the cross, he's buried, and they're like, oh my gosh, it's over, it's helpless, it's hopeless, we can't do this anymore. Boom, third day comes, he's resurrected, he's there, he's in spiritual and bodily form. And in John chapter 20, he says, he gets all the disciples together, John's the only one that records this, and he goes, Whew. he takes each person, he goes, Whew. receive the Holy Spirit, Whew. receive the Holy Spirit. Whew. I hope you had Tic Tacs, receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathes and says that to all 12 of them. And the Bible says they believe, and in that moment, they're saved. They see the resurrected Lord, they believe in the blood of Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be saved. You believe in the blood, you receive the Spirit, boom, you're saved. But Luke says that he also said this. He says, in Acts and Luke, remember I said Luke and Acts are one book. He says to these guys in Acts, what you just read, he says, they're like, okay, well, now is the end. Is it over? Are we ready? Are we coming? You bring in the, the horses and the chariots and the man. We're going to. He's like, it's not for you to know the end of the world, but I want you to go to the ends of the world. It's not for you to know the end of the world. It's for you to go to the end of the world. And the most important thing I can tell you right now is that you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to know signs and seasons. You don't need to know when the, who the Antichrist is and what's going to come and what president's going to be in power and is it Russia and is it Ukraine. We don't need to know all the only thing you need to know right now, the most important thing you need to know before I go up to heaven is that you need this immersion of being in the Spirit of God because you have a purpose. You need the power. All right, here's the promise. Luke said, he opened their minds, at Luke 24, 45, he opened their minds to understand the scripture, and he said to them, so it's written, I was going to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance was going to come, and proclaim to the nations. Verse 48, you're witness of these. Verse 49, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city to your clothed with power from on high. So here's the question you have to ask yourself. Is this promise still for us today? Does God still intend His people to be the people who need the Holy Spirit? Or maybe I'll ask it this way. Did His promise end with these first followers? Did they accomplish the mission the promise was for? Did they do and reach the ends of the earth? If so, then we don't have to have this anymore. But if you believe, as I do, that God, that Jesus hasn't come back yet, right? It hasn't come back yet. We haven't achieved the mission of God. I don't know about you, but I still need the Holy Spirit. It's like that meme that says, you just need the Holy Spirit just to go to Walmart, you know? Like you still need the immersion of power 
The promise of the Father, do you believe it's still needed today? Does the church still need to be the church of the book of Acts? Do you still need it? Then you have to believe this promise is still available because we haven't completed the mission. Because look what Peter says in chapter 2, verse 39. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far away, as many as the Lord God will call to himself. He says, this promise will continue until the end comes and I come back. This was not a promise that ended with just the first 120 people, but this promise for is for as many whom the Lord... I'm just telling you the Bible. This promise will continue for as many people as the Lord will call to Himself. It's plain and simple right there in Scripture. This promise is available for every single believer in Jesus. Are you with me? There's a promise. So you have to believe there's a promise. If you don't believe there's a promise, then you can go home. But if you believe that we still need and God is good to his word and he didn't cancel his promise, he didn't take back his promise, he says, you need this. The most important thing the church of the living God needs before I come back is this promise. Number two, there is a purpose. You don't need his promise if you don't believe in his purpose. And many, I think, uh, Christians, they know that God gave them a purpose probably when they were born or you invent from your talents, your abilities. Maybe I've got some dreams. God gave me a purpose. But look what Jesus says. At the beginning of his ministry, he says, follow me. That's the first words he says. The last words he says was, now go. Follow me, now go. This is your purpose. This purpose was such an honor. It wasn't something optional. This was the whole thing that they were bought into. So these guys start off, follow me. They leave their nets. They think it's an honor. Man, this guy is walking on water. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. Who wouldn't want to follow and be in a groupie in the fan club of Jesus, right? And who wouldn't want to be on the band carrying his equipment, you know, going from place to place? I mean, this guy is somebody to follow and be on the team with. Then he dies. Then he comes back again. You're like, oh my gosh, he actually is who he says he is. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. So when he says, Matthew 28, all authority has been given unto me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always, even into the end of the age. They're like, yeah, I'm on this team. Because this is the team that's going to usher in a new heaven and a new earth. This is the team that Jesus is on. This is something I'm going to be a part of. I am honored to be in Jesus' fan club. I mean, I'm, I'm on the team that's going to win. And so when he says, guess what, Mark 16, he says, guys, these signs are going to follow those who believe in, in my name. You're going to lay hands on sick people. They're going to recover. You're going to cast out demons. Man, you're going to touch deadly things. It's not going to harm you. But, man, you need to go make disciples. Go tell somebody what you've seen and what you've heard. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Man, this power is going to come upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses. So guess what? Follow me. Now go. If you're saved, you are sent. There is no other version of Christianity. At the cross, you get commissioned. At the cross, you don't get to go back to your couch. At the cross, you get an ambassador status for Jesus. You know, like on Facebook, you get that, if you're a good fan of some kind of news station or some kind of thing you follow, it's like, ooh, I get a star. I'm one of the favorite people who comment on this page all the time. You're like one of those people. You got like special status. Man, you are in the in crowd. And man, when you come into Jesus, he says, welcome to the cross, now go. Follow me, now go. I'm not good enough. That's okay. The most important thing you need is this. 
And the most important, you're not, man, I just denied you. I just left you and fled. That's okay. Most important thing you need is this. This promise is for those who accept my purpose. You don't need the promise if you don't accept the purpose. A lot of times Christianity can be all about us, but if you're saved, you're sent. And simply put this way, your purpose here today is not to live a good and moral life. It is not to avoid sin. That's part of it. It's not to live a happy life, enjoy your kid, and take trips, retire, and die well. That is not the purpose of the Christian church. And simply put, if we're not interested in the Great Commission, we're not really interested in obeying Christ completely. Sorry. If you're not interested in making disciples and teaching people and, and telling people what Jesus has done for you, you're not really interested in obeying Jesus. That's the truth. Because when someone is about to die and the last thing they say on earth, it's kind of like what you have to do. Hey, you know, paint my house red. I don't know what it make any sense, but it's what he said before he died. Well, you better paint his house red. I mean, that's, those are the, the last thing he said. Guys, go make disciples. Go tell people. And you don't have to do this on your own. He says there's power. Lastly is power. He says this mission is so important that this unique spiritual empowerment is needed. Just like Jesus had the power of the Holy Spirit to do his ministry, just like uh, Moses had the power of the Holy Spirit, just like Elijah had the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus in the water was baptized in water, then the Holy Spirit came upon him and he went out and began his ministry. Not until the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus in that water did he start ministry. And he says the same thing to disciples. You believe me, you receive me, you've been baptized in water, but now... When the Holy Spirit comes into your life and comes upon you and gives you this power, it's going to enable you to go do the things I've called you to do. And the same thing with Elijah. He says, until you are clothed with power. What happened with Elijah? Elijah had this mantle, like this big woolly cape thing on top of his shoulders. And Elisha was his disciple in the Old Testament, a prophet. Both were prophets. And he said, Elisha, whenever, if you want to do the ministry I've called you to do, Elisha says, yeah, I want to do it. I want to double fold. Man, give me more. When Elisha was taken up to heaven, what had left on the ground? His mantle. Elisha took that mantle and clothed himself with the authority and power that Elijah had. He says, you're going to be clothed. You're my mantle of authority to raise the dead, to heal the sick, to go walk on water. That, that same authority and power that was with me, the same Holy Spirit that raised me from the dead, man, is going to be in you. That mantle of authority that I have, I'm transferring it to you. You're going to be clothed with power to do the work I've called you to do. Now, do you believe that? I grew up in, in this stuff, and for a long time in my life, I thought it was only pastors who could cast out demons. It was only pastors who heard God speak and would tell people things. It was only missionaries who should go overseas. It was only crazy, really unique people who could hear God speak to them and tell somebody something, you know, speak a word, or, or there's only those really, really devout people who spoke in tongues and all that kind of stuff. Like, that's just special people. But no, he says, this is for you and for everyone. This isn't a Baptist thing or a Methodist thing or a Slim's God thing or a Pentecostal thing. This is a Bible thing. This thing is a Bible thing, and we've kind of compartmentalized it and argued over it, and I'm not here to do that, and if that's one, your position, I totally respect you, love you, accept you, and you're welcome in our church. Man, we love you. We can agree to disagree on some things. I just want to read the Bible as it is 
and apply it to today in my life. And he says, this power is needed. His mantle to do this ministry. Power here is dynamic or dunamin power or the word we get dynamite from. It's a dynamic supernatural power. It's kind of like when you get a deputy sheriff, and I'm going to close here. A deputy sheriff, we train him, we put him through uh, police academy, and then we have a ceremony where we commission him to go do the office. Give him a badge and a gun. He has been called, trained, and equipped. Then he's commissioned. He's sent out with the authority to arrest you. He has the power and authority behind him. Now, it's not his power and authority. It's given to him on loan. So as he's doing the office of the job, he can do it. Now, if he's off, he's off. If he's in another state, he don't have it. But if he's in commission and he's on the job and he's doing what he's supposed to do, that power will back him up. Are you with me? The same is true for every Christian. When you are doing what God has called you to do, even if you're at Walmart, if you're wherever you are, as long as you are doing and in tune with the Spirit, saying, God, I want to make disciples. I want to tell people about you. That power will be there to back you up. Are you with me? But if you're not doing it, and if you left the state, you on your own. Are you with me? Let me give you another example. My lawnmower... Uh, this is lawnmower season, okay? So uh, I'm not a handy person, by the way, at all, okay? But I was pretty proud of myself because I have this, like, uh, bush hog for my four-wheeler, and it was just totally needed a rehaul, okay? So I had to put a new gas tank on it, and I did the oil change and the filter and the fuel. So I ran new gas lines and, and got it all working, put new blades on it, right? So I'm pretty proud of myself. Yeah, yeah, I'm a man, right? Okay, so got it working great, okay? Total overhaul, brand, basically a brand-new lawnmower, Okay? And I put this thing in the shed, and, and I go back, and three weeks goes by. It's time to mow. Come back out there. Won't start. Nothing. Well, I have two keys on this thing. One key was left on. Are you following me now? One key was off. So what was happening? That little trickle of power was going to a machine that wasn't doing anything. Okay? It was totally overhauled. Brand new. Brand, brand new. Everything's right on this thing. But because it was taking in just a trickle of power for three weeks, it was worse off than it was before. Sometimes in Christianity, we can come in and want God to do a total overhaul on our life. God, rework my mind, renew my mind, give me a right spirit, fix my marriage, fix my finances. And God comes in and he does all this stuff. It's like you're a whole new person. And then we go to the shed... And we sit on our pews and we go to our churchianity and we want just a trickle of power just for a season so I can sit. But you will be worse off if that trickle of power isn't connected to an engine that is full of fire that is working and moving and doing something for the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, that little thing, it will create a dead thing in you. If you are not actively working towards the mission of Jesus Christ and he's not moving in you and fueling you and you don't have a purpose and this thing is not doing something in your life, you will be a worse off Christian for having come to church and just got a little trickle now and again. Are you with me? That's why we have so many dead churches, because they want a little trickle from the pastor, but they don't go out there and do anything for the Lord Jesus Christ between Monday and Saturday. They're worse off than they were before. You have to come to 
believe this promise is available, number one. Two, you have to accept the purpose for what this promise is for. And number three, you have to engage that power. You got to turn the machine on, engage that blade, and start mowing. Because there's a job to do. And that's what this promise and that's what this power is for. And if you don't want to engage it, don't need it. But man, if you say, God, I want to be on the winning team. I believe in what you've, I'm so moved by Team Jesus. I'm so moved by what you've done. I have a story for what you've done in my life. God, I'm just willing to be an empty vessel to tell somebody. You don't have to have it figured out. You don't have to have the memory verses, the Bible verses, the seminary degree. You don't have to have any training of any kind. You just have to say, God, I am willing. I receive that power. And it will be there and available. What Jesus said to these guys continues to every generation until he comes. This church must be empowered for the task until the very last day. How much more do we think we need the power of God in these days that we live in? And even they had. And Luke knew this. He said, this Holy Spirit's going to come. It's going to save you. It's going to send you. It's going to speak through you. And Luke could have never, never, ever imagined a virgin, a version of Christianity where people were just sitting in the shed with a little trickle. Never could have imagined a version of Christianity where people did not have the power of the Holy Spirit activated in their life. And again, it wasn't a there was no denominations back then. There was no debate back then. They just said, yes, Lord, I'll go. And it happened. They don't know how it happened. They didn't have it all figured out. They didn't have a doctrine and three-point degree figuring it out how it happened. They just said, Lord, I'm here. Use me. And it happened. And I can't explain to you how it all works. I just know if you're willing, it'll be there. I don't know, I don't care if it's about tongues or prophecy or casting out demons or healing the sick, going to be a missionary in Africa, or just reaching someone at the post office and giving them a word for their life. It is just simply looking for willing vessels. He says, guys, if you believe my promise, if you accept my purpose, you can receive my power. It's there. Not a single, listen to me, I'm going to close with this. Not a single New Testament Christian not a single person who wrote the New Testament did not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Not a single person in the early church, in the first hundred years, not a single person who had access into Jesus did not have the power of Jesus to be the people of Jesus he called them to be. And again, I'm not here to tell you you've got to do it the... United Pentecostal way or the Assemblies of God way or the Baptist way. I'm just saying, just go for Jesus. Step out in faith and let the power come. Let his ability come through you. And don't try to figure it all out. Just be a willing vessel. Would you stand with me all across this room? Every head bowed, every eye closed. You do not have to be the perfect Christian to be used by God. The book of Acts is proof of that. But it's also proof that the best gift Jesus wants to give his church until he comes is the immersion of the promise of the Holy Spirit. He wants to give you an immersion 
of his spirit. He wants to give you a filling, an influencing of his spirit. He wants to give you, for every person who accepts the purpose of what the church is now about, he wants to give you the promise of his power to carry it out. It's not a denominational thing. It's a Jesus thing. Just to simply say, yes, God, I'm willing to be used by you. That's all I'm asking us to pray for. We're going to be on this journey for many weeks. Now, I'm just asking you today, every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around. Maybe, number one, you're here today and you say, Pastor Heath, I don't know where I would spend eternity. I don't know what my life would be like if Jesus came back. I'm not certain. Maybe today you need saving faith. You need to be breathed on like Jesus did. You believe in my hands. You see my scars. You believe on me. Do you believe me? Now receive me. And that's maybe, maybe you're just at that beginning step. If you're here today and nobody's looking around, no one's going to embarrass you. You just know where you are with God. And you just sense the Holy Spirit's tugging on you to make your heart right. Because that's what he wants. He loves you. He wants to have relationship with you. Just like the service today. Man, God has been moving in the service all day. Just trying to get closer to you. And if you're here today and you've been distant from Jesus. And you need to get in the right relationship with him. You need to have peace with God. You need to know that you're saved. And you want Jesus to wash away your sins. And to fill you with love and joy and peace and hope and security in Christ that's you. Nobody's looking around. You say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not going to embarrass you. Just put that hand up, put it right back down. I'm just going to pray for you, and then we're going to move on. Say, Lord, that's me. I just need to get right with you today. Amen. Anybody else? Say, that's to me. Most important part of the whole day is right now. Jesus. Father, you see these hands. You know these hearts. Lord, it's simply a prayer that we pray. It's not something that you repeat after me or that you, I can pray for you, but with your heart of faith, you would just, in your own words, just be confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord of all things. He is God's Son. He died on the cross for your sins. There's nothing you could ever do to help him out. He alone was sufficient, and that you by faith received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible says, if you can begin to confess your sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And his Holy Spirit's going to come inside of you. He's going to breathe on you. He's going to make all things new in your life. He's going to wash it away as far as the east is from the west. He's going to adopt you as his own child. And by faith, you're going to just begin to have an encounter with God right there where you are. You're just going to sense him taking that burden off, taking that religion off, taking all that shame off. He can do it right here, right now. It's just you pursuing him and saying, I believe, Jesus. That's what you can do. All across this room, if that's you, just begin to do that right where you are. Holy Spirit, you're in the room today. We just receive you, Jesus. We love you. And saint of God, I'm going to challenge you today. Do you believe we still need God's promise? Do you accept his purpose? Do you accept his purpose for your life? There is no greater work of man than working for the kingdom of God. There is no greater thing God wants you to do than to talk to someone about how he's impacted your life. There is no greater thing on your weekly schedule than being in tune with the Holy Spirit and talking to a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, or a family member and listening to what the Holy Spirit wants you to say. It's not about all this crazy stuff. 
It's simply just being an open vessel and saying, God, if you say go, I'll go. If you say stay, I'll stay. God, if you say wait, I'll wait. God, if you say talk to that person, I'll talk to that person. And Lord, I want your purpose to be the greatest purpose of my life, to raise a godly family, to lead a godly life, to reach my neighbors for the Lord, to talk to people about Jesus, to see my community transformed by the power of God, to invest in the youth of my church, to invest in the kids of our church, to invest in a small group Bible study. God, my only desire, Lord, my greatest thing, Lord, is just to be about your business. That's what Jesus said. I have nothing greater than to be about my Father's business. You can have all these earthly things. That's okay, church, but you need to have the greatest purpose of your life needs to be testifying of who Jesus is and what he has done in your life. And if you're saying, yes, God, that's me. Yes, God, that's me. I want that to be my biggest aim. I want you just to come and stand across the front. We're not going to do anything but just pray. You say, God, that's me. I just want a greater purpose in my life. I just want to be great, more, more about Jesus' purpose. I want to be witnessing to my neighbors. I